welcome to One Great History, a podcast about the great and sometimes not so great parts of Winnipeg history that we think are fascinating. I'm one of your hosts, Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined as always by our producer, Nick. How's it going? And today's episode is all about Winnipeg urban legends. Yes. So um, the source of a lot of these is um, the fact that you and I have both worked extensively as tour guides. Yeah, we talk a lot with the public, which means we hear all of the public's weird theories on things. Yeah. And they ask us if things are true. When so often they are not. No, and it's not fun to tell people that things aren't true. Well, I found often that people don't like to be wrong. Yes. Either. Yeah, sometimes it's not so much a question as, oh, did you know this thing? And I'm like, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's the the high-pitched well is always a sign you've gone astray yeah. in a tour. Or, or sometimes the, oh, I, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes, oh, well, I had heard that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's been some. Many diplomatic answers. Yes, but so, so many. What would you say is the worst tour that you have ever given? <laughs> um. This one has gone down in, I think, infamy. Because I've told, I used to tell all of the tour guides I would train this story, and they would all say, This is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it was a day where we were doing walk in tours, and this woman walks in with like a wheelie cart behind her, and she sits down and goes, I'd like a tour. And we're like, Oh, okay, you're in the right place. Okay. And she pays for the tour up front and then complains about a tour she had taken earlier in the day. Oh, no. She said it was on a bus, and all they talked about was animals, and she learned nothing. Okay, not a good start. Well, I at first also, was like, what? what tour did you take? Is that at the zoo? It must have been, because like, I've taken the bus tour in Winnipeg. They talk about more than just animals. I would imagine. Did she wind up accidentally at the zoo? <laughs> That's my only theory. Was she theory. just on like, the little cart that they drive around at the zoo? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea, because I didn't ask further, because right. I didn't think it would be wise. Yes. To ask too much about this person. No. <laughs> so we go outside and we're in Old Market Square and I start talking and then she goes, oh, you don't have to do any of that with me. I'm on vacation. I'm not here to learn. Oh, but that's the tour. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what to tell you then. <laughs> but also she has paid for an hour and a half of my time. Oh, no. And doesn't want to know your facts. Yeah. What if does she, she think a tour is? I don't know. Like we went around a little bit and I'd be like, this building is art space. And that was about the extent that she wanted to hear from me. Okay. But we had barely made it to Old Market Square when she went, oh, I need to eat. Okay. And I went, um, all right. And how long, how long of a tour had this been at this point? Maybe 10 minutes. Oh, no. So I'm like, okay, well, like, there's a food cart right there. We can go look at that. She went, okay. And then looked and went, I don't want any of this. And then the rest of the tour was basically me walking her going, this building was a warehouse. It's a store now. And she would go. <laughs> I don't need any more of this. And then would look at like a restaurant menu on the door and be like, don't like this. What? And, yeah, I know. So we get to close to where the public safety building, I guess, was now. And we're going to like walk through the walkway. And she went, mm -mm, I'm not doing stairs. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess we'll just like take the long way around then. Yeah. And we wind up by the bench at City Hall that is an ad for a company in Chinatown. Okay. And she goes, why is that in Chinese? Right. And I go, well, there's Chinatown. And then she goes, oh, can we go there? I want Chinese food. And by this point, I've been giving a tour for about 45 minutes. It is mind-boggling, boring, and bad. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we may as well do this now. <laughs> okay. So we went to Chinatown, and we walk into a restaurant that's, like, pretty upscale. Right. And the woman starts arguing with the waiter <gasps> about what they have and do not have on the menu. Oh, no. The waiter does not speak English as fluently as this woman does. Right. And the fight goes on for at least five minutes. And at one point, I excuse myself to stand in the washroom. 
and just like try and think of an escape plan because I'm like I can't keep doing this. I don't know how to oh, escape this situation you don't anymore. Be associated with this person <laughs> who's like berating this poor no, it didn't feel good. Employee. So I come up and she's like, okay, they don't have what we want. Let's go. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, there's a buffet across the street. We'll try that. And we walk in, and she starts ordering, and she wants, I believe it was the fried rice and like chicken. Okay. And as this is going on, I begin to realize she only has $10 on her. Okay. And what she is ordering is more than $10. What? And then starts trying to buy me a drink. Is this just a crazy person? Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I had to be like, oh, no, I just don't drink pop to get her <laughs> to stop offering. And she went, you're one of those people. Oh, my God. And then finally, the poor girl at the till went, oh, you want the chicken and the fried rice? That's exactly $10. <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs> so this woman gets your food, and I'm like, okay, I- I'm done. This was so bad. Yeah. So I'm going to lie. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, oh, I had to go back to my office. There is a tour waiting. Right. This was not untrue. There was a tour that was waiting, but one of my coworkers had already taken it out. Okay. So I tell her then. She goes, oh, go ahead. And I run okay. back to my office. Thank goodness. And I sit down and think I'm in the clear. And then the woman walks back into my office (gasps) (laughs) and she sits down and I'm like, oh, there's no tour coming. I don't know how to get out of this situation You can't like conjure up fake tour guests. Well, what I tried to do was Uh say, oh, I'm going to go meet them in Old Market Square and not at our office. Uh And she said, okay, I'll walk with you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. We walk to Old Market Square. She sits down and I stand by the cube. Yeah. Until I pretend to take a phone call and go back to the office. And then I believe I sat in my office and didn't do anything for a full hour because I couldn't <laughs> process what had just happened. Oh, man. Well, that makes mine seem a little better, to be honest. <laughs> no one was mean to wait staff with you. No one was mean to wait staff. They were just... <laughs> So, I mean, I've I've had a few rough ones, but I think probably the worst was they were, like, little, little kids, like, mm-hmm. probably five or six. And, okay, so at my old workplace at the museum, we used to divide groups into two. Mm-hmm. So one group would end up with a teacher and the other would just get, like, a parent supervisor. Yeah. And it was often kind of a nightmare if you got that group. That sounds about right, yeah. Right. So I was with that group, which already is not a good start. And then we sit down on the ground and I'm, like, pulling things out of this trunk and some of the kids will not stop touching my hair. What? It's so this is not the first time I've had this issue. I have like so for listeners, I have kind of reddish curlyish hair mm-hmm. and for some kids this is like a fascinating yeah. for some reason. So they would not stop touching my oh, hair. Like weird. I kept telling them like, "Okay, no, we're not doing that." And like I can't I'm not going to yell at these poor kids yeah. who just want to touch my hair. So finally I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to stand up and take them somewhere cuz then they can't reach my hair." Yep. <laughs> So I stand up and start doing more of like the tour bit with them and I take them over to one of the dioramas and we're looking in and one of the kids straight up jumps into the diorama. Yeah. (laughs) Which of course is full of artifacts and has been very carefully put together. And things that you shouldn't let a child like run loose around. No. And so I'm like, oh my God. And I didn't know what to do. I like had to bodily pull him out of the diorama. Where was the parent in all of this? He was just standing there and like... I think, like, the kid afterwards, I, like, told him in my, like, very firm voice that, like, you cannot do that. 
And then the worst thing is, though, like the other group is still doing their thing. I still have to be with these kids for another like 45 minutes at this point. (laughs) It was just a nightmare of me trying to take them somewhere like to enough places for like a short enough time that they would not get bored and start doing crazy things. You should have just made them run laps. Yeah. (laughs) There's not. But you can't do that at the museum. (laughs) Oh, no. So it was a nightmare. Um, the diorama was fine, I guess. Afterwards, I went upstairs and cried and called my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My boss came in just at the point as I was saying. And then he jumped into the log cabin <laughs> and looked at me like, what? <laughs> I think I'm the only person that ever happened to. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tours were always an interesting experience. Yes. But they were a great way to sort of learn about things people think are true about Winnipeg. Yes, I've heard I heard lots, yeah. So I'm going to ask both you and Nick, what's your favorite Winnipeg urban legend? And also, please don't say one I didn't research, because uh-uh. it will make this episode worse. Um, okay, one that I've had to debunk a couple of times is that um, streets in Winnipeg were named after sex workers. Yes, okay. Yeah. I've heard that one a lot, too. Yeah. Um, a city councilor I met thought it was true. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard that one from, like, yeah, people who otherwise don't believe ridiculous things. Yeah. But that Is that one, one Guy Madden's fault? I would, is that where that originated honest, from? Or? I feel like a lot of them are Guy Madden's fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that's where a lot of people get it. Yeah. So just to be clear, Guy Madden did a film called My Winnipeg, which incorporates, like, some true things and some not true things, and people tend to get the facts a little muddied. Yeah. 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 Well, that's like, it's a documentary. Like, that's how he pitched it yeah. first. But he uh, has an actor named Darcy Fair playing his proxy. And Darcy, as Guy, is trying to get out of Winnipeg. Yeah. But he can't leave Winnipeg. And so we were subjected to all of these, like, all the true things are pretty insane compared yeah. to the actual things he comes up with. But I remember my sister had to, like, write a paper on it or something in university and having to explain to her what the real and not real things. Like, <laughs> she's like, did horses really freeze in the water like that? Oh, no. Nope. <laughs> um, I'm sure course, horses got cold in Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure at least one horse did freeze in the river, but it wasn't, like, a consistent thing. Yeah. No, I also, I also have not seen Guy Madden's My Winnipeg, I think largely out of spite. Yeah, I watched it once and... Wasn't thrilled by it, but also I'm not like the most artsy film person in the world, so it maybe just wasn't for me. Yeah, which is totally fine. There's often a guy Madden proxy. I think there's there's another one, uh, Cowards Bend the Knee, where Darcy plays Guy. But then there's another one, I uh, Brand Upon the Brain. I think there's a Guy character oh. in that one, but it's different. Yeah. So he he gets a character to play himself. Yeah, like he creates all these fictional histories of himself oh. and of Winnipeg and yeah. Okay, so to everyone listening, I mean, enjoy your Guy Madden films. Don't <laughs> don't get your history from them. Maybe Please yeah. do not. From like semi-fictionalized films. But I think part of the issue with that then ties into why something like an urban legend is so popular. Yeah. Because... I mean, it's sort of like the old saying, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yes. At and I some mean, point, the story is going to be way more fun than whatever the truth is. If I'm honest, I've totally been guilty of that as well. Oh, yeah, I have too. Uh, like, I I wrote one tour that I literally started with, like, a disclaimer that I got a lot of this from, like, old tabloids. It might not be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, some, some of my favorite stuff is just, like, the urban legends around the Royal Albert. Oh, yeah. Like, how people have been 
murdered there and Susan Sarandon or Jennifer Lopez's jewelry wound up there on a, on a murder scene <laughs> oh, when they God. were in town filming Shall We Dance? Like, and I think that some of this stuff is true, but like there's been like you never know what's yeah. what's real in the Winnipeg music and yeah, whatever scene and at the Royal Albert. I it's, feel like a lot of the maybe it, it's funny i feel like maybe urgent urban legends say something about what we think of ourselves as a city i think so yeah because i feel like a lot of them make winnipeg seem more like criminal and scary than yeah. it actually <laughs> is well, that's sort of a staple of like an urban legend is that they're supposed to be frightening they're supposed okay, to like yeah. do a moral lesson in some way or another mm-hmm. but generally what it is, is they're supposed to stick with you it's supposed to be evocative or like connect with you on some emotional level mm-hmm. and there have been studies about like why these tend to like spread okay through communities and generally it's that they have to be true enough to feel plausible but then mm-hmm. have like two to three things that aren't right so, so then has to feel wrong about it okay interesting right? yeah so like there is it's counterintuitive elements is what they're called so like if i think about the like the one about the street names that makes perfect sense because like yes there are several streets named after women yeah in downtown like more than maybe other cities have yeah we can get into that when we get closer to because i did debunk that one that is in my list of research topics i'll let you i'll let you talk about it but i think the fun thing to do as we go through these is to try and figure out what the grain of truth is in them and sort of where they deviate from what that is right so we're gonna start with a low ball okay it's not that exciting and it's gonna require some explaining for any younger listeners (laughs) because it's that bob hope played his first round of golf in winnipeg So, so this you is know not, who Bob Hope is. I know who Bob Hope is because I'm, yeah. We're both grandmas at heart. I'm, I'm 87 years <laughs> old. I assume, Nick, you also know who Bob Hope is. Of course I know who Bob yeah. Hope is. <laughs> so if you are, um, let's say, under 30 and maybe hipper than Alex and I, <laughs> uh, Bob Hope was a really famous if comedian. you don't spend all your time listening to CJNU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bob Hope was a really famous comedian in the 20th century. He got his start in vaudeville. He went into stand-up and TV later on. Um, he did a series of movies um, with Bing Crosby. They're mm-hmm. called the Road 2 series. Alex and I have both watched those. A little and bit he racist, also... but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit racist. But he also hosted the Academy Awards 19 times. Okay. Like, Bob Hope was a big celebrity for the time. He was a big time. deal. But also, he was really into golf. Okay. Like, this was his big side project. He um, <laughs> played as me- in as many as 150 charity golf tournaments per year. And the rumor is that Bob Hope played his first round of golf while touring in the vaudeville circuit in Winnipeg in the 1930s. So if this were true, it would mean that one of the most famous celebrity golfers Mm -hmm. got his start in Winnipeg, which is a pretty big claim to fame. I guess. That one's funny because it's like, so what? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't think you're that into golf, though. It might be that. It might be that I don't care if he plays. Yeah. Like, it's a cool piece of sports history. Yeah. And... Is almost true. Oh. It could possibly be true. So, um, Bob Hope was performing in the vaudeville circuit in the 1930s, and he mm-hmm. was with the Orpheum, or the RKO sort of vaudeville. So he did. Group. He did play here. Yeah, he did. Actually, or like I mean, performed here. And yeah. Then... So, um, his touring circuit went through Winnipeg, Calgary, Seattle, Tacoma, and Vancouver, and he was playing alongside another sort of big performers like the Diamond Brothers. But I'm gonna make Alex ask because vaudeville is bizarre. What do you think the Diamond Brothers did? What was their shtick? Oh, boy. <laughs> so many things happened in vaudeville. Um, oh, I guess also to be clear, vaudeville was a type of theater that was sort of like America's Got Talent without the yeah. judges. It's a big variety act. Okay. So they performed alongside Bob Hope? They didn't play together. They were separate oh. acts in one vaudeville show. Okay. I'm going to guess that the Diamond Brothers were acrobats. Jugglers. Jugglers. Oh, that was going to be my <laughs> other guess. So you're close. 
But the Diamond Brothers were avid golfers. Okay. And apparently eventually talked Hope into going golfing with them. Mm -hmm. And the rumor claims that it was in Winnipeg. But if you look at their performing dates, Hope played in Winnipeg on February 1st. No. (laughs) So it was... So if you're listening from outside Winnipeg, it's a very good reason you can't golf here on February. (laughs) It was minus 13 degrees, and every golf course in Winnipeg was closed. Yeah. And in fact, Hope later on said in a magazine called Golf and Sports Turf... Um, (laughs) In 1930, my real love affair with golf began. I was in vaudeville playing the Orpheum Circuit on the Northern Route. I was doing afternoon and evening shows in Winnipeg and Calgary up in Canada, and then in Minneapolis and Seattle and Tacoma. Then one day in Seattle, they invited me to come along. I boarded a set of clubs and started hitting the ball pretty well. To my surprise, I got hooked on golf that day, and I've been addicted to it ever since. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Yeah. That it was Seattle and not Winnipeg. Yeah. But what probably happened is someone heard Winnipeg in that anecdote and got confused. Right. But the grain of truth there is that he was in Winnipeg on that same tour, right? Right. And on that tour, began with, playing golf. With the golfers, too. Right. So you can sort of see how that all, like, merges together to become right. a different thing. But that's a really easy one to debunk. Yeah. Although the the mental image of Bob Hope trying to play golf in February. <laughs> Just, like, slipping a, on ice. And, yeah. <laughs> with this juggling troop he's gone with. Yeah. <laughs> Could slip and juggle some balls like a real vaudeville Very, slapstick I mean, that act. does sound like a fun act, actually. <laughs> so... That one you don't hear so often anymore, I think, because Bob Hope isn't People like... People don't care about Bob, yeah. Bob Hope so much He's anymore. not like a talking point anymore. So the next one is actually the one you brought up earlier, the street names for sex workers. Right. Which is a huge one. I hear that. I heard that like on at least one tour a day, I would say. I definitely... Yeah. That's one that I heard a lot when I was doing like Winnipeg history tours. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the rumor is pretty simple. It's that street names like Lily and Annabelle in Winnipeg's downtown were named for uh, sex workers or mistresses of famous politicians. Mm, right. And it's not unbelievable based on Winnipeg's relationship with sex work. Yeah. When you look at when Winnipeg was becoming a city in the 1870s, we were a boomtown. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of men coming through at a rapid pace, and there's not really many opportunities for women, especially disenfranchised ones. Right. So a lot turned to sex work mm-hmm. to make a living and to survive. And it became kind of like an accepted fact of life people yeah, didn't like it like sanctioned by the police in some cases yeah we briefly tried to legalize it in fact yeah. <laughs> so based on that you can see why someone might think oh well obviously a councilman would name a street after his favorite mistress right but although i can't imagine his wife would be happy if he no. tried that so <laughs> so like that's kind of where it falls apart is like thinking about the actual social implications of this or yeah. the actual like process of like going through the business yeah. of naming a street So the horrifically boring reality of all of this (laughs) is that likely those streets are named for councilmen's daughters or wives Mm. or relatives. Which makes far more sense. Yeah. The thing to remember here is that Winnipeg was also a really small town. Mm -hmm. And that, like, in a very real sense. So if a councillor named a street Lily for no reason, someone might actually be suspicious. And at the time, there were still some pretty strict views towards, like, dating and sex. Right. That would have made that very frowned upon even if prostitution was still occurring in Winnipeg. Yeah, and even, like, some of the sex workers likely would have been well-known oh, to some yeah. extent. Like, I imagine if you called one, like, a street, like, Mini or something, people yeah. would be like, well, we know who this we is We know for. who that is. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So, likely, this is just because Guy Madden's film, My Winnipeg, claims that's where the street names come from, but mm-hmm. it's not entirely true. Yeah. But it does lead to an interesting thing with street names, where what I noticed when I was looking into this is that 
there are streets like Lily that are named for someone's daughter. Mm-hmm. But then there are other streets that are named for prominent women. There's the woman's last name. Right. Like Bannatine. Yeah. Which I like to imagine is named for... The daughter and not... Yeah, for the, the female Bannatine and not the male <laughs> Bannatine. Yeah, she's, so... Uh, she, she was great. Yeah. Uh, Bannatine Street is named for the Bannatine family. They were um, a Métis family in Winnipeg that owned a pretty significant chunk of land mm-hmm. near the Red River, down to like near Health Sciences Center. And their daughter, daughter Annie Bannatine, was, famously, I guess, the wife, the wife, wife Annie Bannatine. Yeah, she Annie was the Bannatine McDermott daughter. Famously, horsewhipped a man. Yes, who had written uh, poorly about uh, Métis women. Yeah, he uh, tracked. She tracked him down to the front of I think her husband's store, and then just beat him up. Ah, oh, amazing. <laughs> she was very cool. But, like, this is a really easily debunked rumor, but it's still something you hear everywhere. It's yeah. so common. And I guess, like, the grain of truth there is, like, I mean, partly that, yes, the street names are women's names, but also partly that Winnipeg was this kind of, like, place where people were having, like, a moral panic about what's yeah, going on here, right? exactly. And I think, to this day, like, it ties into that part of, like, it's sensational, it's racy. Yeah. And it's more interesting than it was named for a politician's relative. Yes. <laughs> So people still talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. You also hear, um, this is the less common one. I don't know if you may have heard, um, the Arlington Bridge was built to span the Nile. I don't think I had heard that, at least not unless until you had mentioned it to me. Yeah. So this is a weird one. I hadn't really heard either, but it's not like we talked about the Arlington Bridge that often no. on tours. So just to inform everyone, the Arlington Street Bridge is a steel truss bridge that's built over the CPR roads in northern Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And they were built in 1912. And they were really needed because the CPR track basically divided Winnipeg along northern and southern lines. Mm -hmm. And there were only a handful of places you could get across the street, namely, like, the Main Street area. But if you weren't near Main, you couldn't get to the north end without crossing a lot of very dangerous train tracks. Right. And I guess that's probably a problem for a lot of people who are living in the north end and working downtown. Yeah. So you had to commute somehow. So this bridge is built. Mm -hmm. And... It cost tremendously little at the time. It was $205,000. Okay. From the Cleveland Cleveland Bridge Company in England. Mm-hmm. And probably because of the low price, it caused problems immediately. I have to be honest. I don't know how much a bridge would normally cost. But it was I'll, apparently, I'll take your word it for it. It was apparently that that was low for cheap. the time. Yeah. Um, streetcar drivers never wanted to drive on it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Have you been on the Arlington Bridge before? I have. It's weird. Yeah. For sure. Not, I haven't been on it in quite a while. So it's my favorite bridge Yeah. in the city. I don't know why. I mean, I fair just, enough. I love looking down at the rail yards and the pigeons. and It's a cool bridge. It's a great... I don't know. It just feels like I'm in like the opening credits of the show Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. But basically, the bridge is a really steep decline and no place to break. Yeah. So if you were taking a streetcar down on an icy road... You were going to slip. Like, drivers called it a suicide run, never did it. Right. So you just got to make sure no one's in front of you, and then you go down like a toboggan hill. Yeah. And then smoke from the trains actually damaged part of the bridge until plates were put on to cover that. Oh. So, like, structurally, the bridge caused problems immediately. Mm -hmm. And at no point did a streetcar ever go on that bridge. See, this is not the first time Winnipeg has paid too little money for something (laughs) and then it fell apart. Yeah. So by the 1930s and 40s, people are starting to complain about the bridge being bad. Mm-hmm. And counselors are trying to pay for repairs and reporters are making fun of it in the papers. And this is when the Nile connection starts to come up in huh. press so far as we can see. So, like, I don't... What do they mean it was meant to span the Nile? I'm going to tell you. It's... Okay. There we go. So, um, basically, the... Uh, Story starts when a city councillor says the Arlington Street Bridge will always be a bugbear. 
It was built to go across the Nile, but was peddled off to the city of Winnipeg. The sooner the bridge comes down and the modern one goes up, the sooner the city will maintain expenses. So essentially, the story that had come out is that the Cleveland Bridge Company had made this bridge for the Nile, the Blue Nile specifically. Okay. And then whoever had tried to buy it didn't pick it up. So there was now just a bridge that this company owned and couldn't get rid of. And then Winnipeg bought it for cheap. Aren't bridges usually built on location? (laughs) Well, the parts were made there and then shipped over. Okay. Okay. Especially if you look at, like... like, They didn't bring, like, the entire bridge over. (laughs) No, they brought the parts. But, like, Winnipeg wouldn't have had the manufacturing capabilities to make a bridge that big in town in 1911. I see. There wasn't, like, a steelworks here that could have done that. Mm -hmm. So you had to buy it from elsewhere. So there's this big story that... It was built for the Nile initially, and then we got it on cheap because it was basically on clearance. <laughs> because they didn't pick it up. I love that. Yeah. It's a very Winnipeg story, if nothing else. I love the idea that someone commissioned a bridge, forgot about it. And then <laughs> Winnipeg was like, aha, free bridge, yeah. or cheap bridge. <laughs> like, in Winnipeg, we have the, like, free days, right? And yeah. for other cities do this, too. We just, like, pick things up off the curb. Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. But with a bridge. But with a bridge. It was just <laughs> sitting on the boulevard in a box. Except this rumor is debunked by 1965. Okay. So a reporter with the Winnipeg Tribune, Lillian Gibbons, thinks that the source of the rumor is actually because the Cleveland Bridge Company's letterhead shows the Nile. Oh, that's dumb. And that someone made that up. Right. So a big proponent of the rumor at the time was William Hurst. He was a city engineer, and he's the one who may have started this whole thing. Mm, So maybe he just didn't like the bridge. Maybe. It's possible. But then um, Carmen Lita Magnus with the Free Press does more digging in 1969, and she actually contacts the Cleveland Bridge Company to see mm-hmm. if they have a record of a Winnipeg bridge, and they don't. Oh. So there's no record of it being made for Winnipeg. Okay. But she also talks to William Hurst, who says he's never seen any evidence it was built for the Nile. Right. So, so is it possible, then, that it was built for another city or something? It's entirely possible, but there's no record one way or the other. which is bizarre yeah so the other weird thing is that when they were putting the bids out for the contract for the Ellington Bridge they wanted two designs Mm -hmm. one for a basically a steel bridge and one for a truss span bridge with a plate girder design we don't need to get into I don't don't know what that no basically they wanted two (laughs) designs for a bridge right the Cleveland Bridge Company only submitted one okay at an extremely low price so that uh uh, 205,000 I was pitching was $33,000 $33,000 cheaper than what someone else had proposed. Okay, so that's quite a big savings. Yeah. So they only put in one bid, though, which is super weird that they got it. Right. One bid with one design. I guess if they were just undercutting everyone else yeah. that much. So it's, I don't know, it's a weird one, because it's hard to say if it's definitively true or not, because there's right. no records. So I feel like we can probably say that it was not built for the Nile in any case. But the Cleveland Bridge Company did a lot of work in the Nile. Okay. Because... England at the time was in the midst of colonizing North Africa. Right. So they were doing a lot of work for sort of colonial groups building bridges across rivers there. Yeah. So around 1910, they were doing at least two others in Africa. Huh. So it's not implausible. Right. But it's weird. And I do think maybe you can make the case that Winnipeg might have just bought a bad cheap bridge. That seems more likely. I can also see us buying a secondhand bridge, honestly. <laughs> yeah, both things are extremely Winnipeg moves. That one's... It's primarily the Nile thing that feels made up to me. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if it was a less well-known river, it might not have been as fun. Yes, if it was built to span, like... I don't know why I started that sentence. I'm not going to be able to name a less well-known <laughs> river. What am I doing? The Mackenzie River, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. This one was the weirder one to try and like debunk. Christian Cassidy, I will say, did a lot of the work on doing the research here. We love Christian Cassidy. He does a lot of good work. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. This one I'm not sure about. Like, I could see it being true, but you can also see someone like hearing a river and thinking the Nile instead. Yeah. Or just like, it and sounds more exciting than Winnipeg bought a bad bridge once. Well, especially because <laughs> there's no source to, to yeah, the say lack that, of that sourcing. did happen. But no source say that it didn't either, right? There's yeah. no contract for Winnipeg either. Right. It's Weird. a mystery. It's a mystery. That maybe someone will solve eventually. Yeah. I personally think it's too sensational to be true. Yeah. Just based on how these things tend to go. Um, The other really big one is um, involving the Manitoba legislature, which I'm sure you also heard about a lot. Yes. And in fact, I thought this story was true until like two years ago. I know the one you're talking about. And I thought, yeah, I definitely thought this was true until very recently. People still tell the story yeah. as if it's true. I think, uh, well, I'll let you uh, say what yeah. it was. <laughs> Nick, have you heard about what happened with the Manitoba legislature? Uh, I've heard some weird conspiracy stuff <laughs> happen at the ledge and that there's like Masonic, okay. you know. This has nothing to do with the Masons. Okay. This is more to do with the construction of the legislature in the first place. Oh, okay. Which was a huge mess. Yeah. So basically it's a really early political scandal in uh, Winnipeg where essentially the moment construction began in the legislature in Around 1912, 1913, there were accounts of basically poor construction work and sort of missing money. Right. So Thomas Kelly was the hired contractor. Mm -hmm. And basically what had happened, if we're going to give you the really short version, yeah, is Kelly had gotten hired because he had looked at the bids for the contract. So he knew what everyone else was offering to pay. Oh. And he said he could pay less. You mean charge? Charge less. Yes. He would charge less, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And... That got him the job. Makes sense. But once he got the job, he began to raise his price, claiming Ugh. inflation. <laughs> and over the course of the construction period, he um, managed to overcharge the government $892,000. Oh, my God. That is worth about uh, $19.5 million, closer oh to today's money. And, like, Winnipeg was not, like huge at that point that's a ton of money that's a lot of money so basically the liberal party who was not in power at the time it was under the conservative government this was happening Mm -hmm. the liberal party got suspicious and then actually tried to reach out to the federal government to get an investigation and then um they actually paid an inspector to come in to look at what was going on and the conservative party tried to cover things up so they actually um paid a provincial inspector to go into hiding in the states what yeah so um william salt was the inspector and he had doctored his books to make it look to make sort of the amounts match for Mm -hmm. what they had paid for and what they were getting but government officials thought he wouldn't stick to his story (laughs) so salt went to denver colorado that's excellent and a man was sent from winnipeg with an envelope containing that money he was promised to escape what what a way to cover up a scandal. But the man who was sent to give him the money didn't make it because he was robbed or stole the money for himself. We don't know. William Salt never got the money he was bribed for. Maybe just, like, don't send a man with an envelope of money somewhere. Well, okay, here's the kicker. He went back to Winnipeg and got another $10,000. No. Did he make it this time? Yes. Okay. But then Salt went back to Winnipeg because he got tired of waiting. Oh, jeez. So finally, Salt agrees to take $10,000 in exchange for silence. But K- 
Kelly took a different approach and he actually fled to Chicago in 1916. Okay. And then got caught by the RCMP and mm-hmm. was brought back to face trial. Right. So it was actually enough of a scandal that there were like charges. Placed. Kind of. Okay. Okay. So basically what had happened yeah. is that Kelly was taking all of this money back and he was kicking some of it back to the provincial government. Mm. So Rodman P. Roblin's conservative party was making money off of this inflation thing. Okay. And some of that money was going into his re-election campaign, mm. allegedly. Right. So both Roblin and Kelly were tried yeah. for basically defunding or frauding the government. Do you think that that was, like, was this something they arranged before he made the bid, do you think? It's possible Kelly had worked on projects before and he was a well-known contractor, so he did likely know Roblin. Right. It's not implausible that this was a thing they had worked out in advance. Yeah. Because well, someone had to was, let... If he was able to see the bids. Someone had to let him do that. Right. So, basically, Roblin is tried... He goes for four trials and then is acquitted due to his ill health. Okay. But he lived for about 20 more years. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly hmm. is actually charged... Okay. And spends about nine months in jail. But the rumor goes he spent his nine months in the warden's house. Ah. So he didn't know real time. But, like, yeah. if all of this, I mean, all of this was proven to be true. Mm-hmm. So Kelly did do this, which meant he had friends in high places right. and knew enough people to probably get special treatment in jail. Yeah. So that that part of it may be true. Yeah. So, so what's the bit... Uh... What's the myth? Yes, what's the myth? So when you're talking about the story now, people always learn this one little thing that Kelly didn't just steal money. Mm-hmm. He stole material. Yes. So Thomas Kelly's house is not too far away from the ledge. It's on, it's not on Carlton. It's the street before that. Edmonton? Edmonton, I think. I don't know. <laughs> it's near your apartment. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I don't know which, which direction. Yeah. He... Regardless. So it it's is. closer to the ledge. It's Edmonton. Yeah. It's closer. It's close to. And the front porch of the Kelly house had these big columns. Big, classically styled ones that look awfully similar to the ones that they have at the Manitoba legislature. Mm. So the story that is often told and that I have told many times before is that Kelly took pillars on the ledge, hauled them to his house, and set them up on his front porch. Right. I'm pretty sure that they told this in tours of the legislature. I think so, too. Like, I think this is commonly accepted as true. Yeah. But um, this one isn't actually that hard to debunk. Cameron McLean with CBC did all of the work on this. Yeah. Amazing. But actually, Lillian Gibbons, the same one that tried to debunk the Nile rumor in the 60s, mm-hmm. did it with this as well. Okay. So the first evidence of this rumor is actually Lillian Gibbons debunking it. Oh. And then maybe that made it worse. Right. I don't know. So, like, people had already been talking about it, but then... Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's but... terrible that people hear that this rumor isn't true and just start talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm actually going to ask you, how do you think you'd go about disproving this? What would be your trick? Um... I guess what I'd try to do is figure out when his home was built. That is the exact right answer. Yeah. Kelly's house was completed in 1909. Okay. The contract for the legislature wasn't awarded until 1911. Oh, so there okay. is so. two years before the house, before like that even happened. So Kelly's house with the columns was there before the ledge even happened. Right. And presumably the house complete with the columns. Yeah. So yeah, you could argue that maybe he added the columns added later the columns yeah but if you look at the investigation documents there's no reference to stolen material okay so it probably did not happen and i feel like if they were doing all this thing chasing him around and charging him and everything they probably would have they would have noticed some missing well. columns for sure yeah i also feel like i mean yes winnipeg had some huge scandals but i feel like people would have noticed and like it would have been in the tribune if people were hauling columns or if, like, mysteriously, they like a neighbor of Kelly's woke up and there were just new pillars in yeah, his house, right? that would have been suspicious. Like, Winnipeg was a tabloid town. There would have been rumors. Gossip, yeah. yeah. 
So actually, one of Thomas Kelly's descendants puts this theory forward that maybe material theft was a way to take some of the heat off of Roblin's government. Oh. Like, to make Kelly look worse than Roblin did. Right. Okay. Which is possible. Both of them still come out looking really bad, no matter if the pillar story (laughs) is true. But the pillar one is, I think, my favorite to debunk because, like... I was told that on tours growing up. I told that on tours when I was giving them. Yeah. This was debunked in 2018. Right. It's stated as, as fact, but actually super easy to disprove in that yeah. way. But it's like, it's a fun story. And it's if you go past great... the Kelly house, it's now an apartment complex, but the columns are still there. Oh, okay. Yes. I do know the one that yeah. we're talking about. I've, I, this might actually be on Carlton. Yeah. Okay. So the apartments on Carlton, the Kelly house apartments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. I always look at it and I'm like, oh, it'd be nice if I could afford yeah. one of those. <laughs> so those were allegedly the stolen columns. Right. So it's like a, t- a tangible thing to point to and say, this is a part of our history. Here's a story about it. I mean, it. that's great for a walking tour. Yeah, right. For starters. It's perfect. But also, tragically, like, not so, true. Like so ostentatious, right? Yeah. Um, and like, like what guts a person would have to have to, to steal, steal columns. the columns from the legislature and put them up in front of their house. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite as fun to be like, he stole money. <laughs> he stole a lot of money, in yeah. fairness. <laughs> the more common way of, like, stealing via materials, which was done in Winnipeg lots, was to be like, we're using expensive materials, and then not. Yeah. That's a pretty classic grift. Yeah. Or like, whoops, we ordered too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also been done before. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a really, really common one that just... That's a great not one. Not true. But the last one we're going to talk about has, like, multiple facets to it. Oh, boy. Because it's tunnels. Oh, the tunnels. <laughs> I've heard so much about the tunnels. Yeah, okay. So this one, um, Bruce Elwin with the Free Press did most of the work on. Okay. He did a lot of really interesting articles, basically trying to figure out where all of the tunnels may be. Right. But um, have you, what tunnels have you guys heard of? Because I feel like there's, like, thousands of variants on what tunnels I've... do and don't exist. Yeah, I've heard. I This is an odd one because <laughs> I feel like. Whereas, like, with the pillars and with the street names, the myth I hear is pretty consistent. Yeah. With tunnels, I've heard, like, 18 different things. There are so many variants There's so many variants. I've heard that um, there are ones, like, under places near the exchange where, like, there was bootlegging. Mm-hmm. Um, and Al Capone's lawyer was involved or something <laughs> yeah, like that. I heard that one too. And that one I couldn't find any evidence of yeah, outside of like a thing person that told me on a tour once. Yes. There's lots of like Capone in Saskatchewan rumors, I think. Yeah. And tunnels and Well, definitively and... Capone was in Moose Jaw. Right, yeah. And what part of the Capone connection feels to me like we're trying to compete with a different prairie yes. province. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like Part of it is like, oh, like fun, scandalous criminal stuff. But also we want to be like a world-class city with like r- criminals whose names you've heard. Like Moose Jaw. <laughs> yeah. And not just like mom and pop distilleries in their basements, yeah. you know? like <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that going around, I think. So I tried to sort of distill it down to the more common ones. Right. And not all of the weird variants I had heard, because there's no possible yeah. way to look into all of those. So I think I've heard of ones by the Fort Gary. Yep. Under, like, various places in and around the exchange. Um, and one by the Saddlery, maybe, someone told me? I think I might have told you about that one. That might have been me. That might have been you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, there are real tunnels in Winnipeg. Okay. We'll get into those later. I think we'll start with the fake ones and then move into what's sure. real afterwards. Sounds good. But... I think the catch is the real ones aren't as fun. Yeah. That's often what it is. That's often how these are. What a terrible podcast episode we've made. <laughs> hey guys, everything interesting you've ever heard isn't true. <laughs> 
But we're going to start in probably a fitting place for this, the Exchange District, mm-hmm. which is one of the older neighborhoods in Winnipeg. It's got a bunch of turn-of-the-century heritage buildings. So it is a fitting place for sort of debauched crime rumors, I yes. think, essentially. I so, mean, it still feels like a fun... It feels old-timey. Yeah. So basically the rumor is that um, the Exchange is sort of covered by this network of secret tunnels. Yes. That during Prohibition, which was about 1917 to 1923-ish, mm-hmm. was used to smuggle rum. And I think we'll start with maybe talking about rum running first. Okay. frankly, you didn't really need to smuggle rum. No, you really didn't. <laughs> like, it's a cool idea if you're, say, in Moose Jaw near the American border. Because right. then you're getting run a- rum across the border. Because American prohibition laws were much stricter in Manitoba. Yeah. There were so many ways to float prohibition ro- laws in this it's, province. Yeah. You could get a prescription for booze for your horse. <laughs> And that was somehow okay. <laughs> like, if you had the money, you could also just import liquor for most of Prohibition yeah. from outside the province. Absolutely. So the hard part is sneaking it across state lines. Right. So you might see it more in, like, Emerson. I'm, I don't mm. think anything like that. There was rum running in Emerson, but you just walked across the border in a field. Right. Because And tried to make a break for it. Like, during most of American Prohibition, we didn't have Prohibition here. Yeah. So... It it's wasn't, really easy. You don't need the tunnels. <laughs> you, just, you just take it. <laughs> also, like, you probably weren't going to be drinking downtown. Right. There were bars downtown that you could maybe, like, sneak some booze into. But if you're drinking in Manitoba during Prohibition, it's likely in your own home. Mm-hmm. So um, Ian Carr, who wrote a whole book on the history of Prohibition in Manitoba, estimated that on some Winnipeg streets, every third or fourth house had a bootlegger inside of it. <laughs> So accessing liquor was not hard. There was no reason to be smuggling rum underground throughout the busiest neighborhood in the city. Um, I make wine in my one-bedroom apartment, yeah. so <laughs> I won't claim that it's good wine. <laughs> but you could. And, I mean, I think more than all of that, there aren't any tunnels to run through. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually only, yeah, that's my, a problem. <laughs> only one genuine old tunnel in the exchange, and that is between the salary on market. Okay. So in the early 1900s, this was home to the Great West Salary Company owned by Elias Hutching. Mm-hmm. And he had a storefront and a warehouse on opposite ends of the street. And basically underneath the street was a tunnel where he could ship goods back and forth. Right. So you could ship goods to your storefront from your warehouse without ever going outside into, say, the blistery winds. I mean, that sounds nice. Yeah. It was not a bad idea. It had like a wooden cart that you could push things through. Yeah. So it was a full human-sized tunnel, but it was just used to ship Salary goods. Right. I guess which it's is stuff for horses. Same idea as, I don't know, the Winnipeg Underground. Yeah, it's, it's similar. It's a place to walk through. But uh, Hutchings actually found some pretty good use for this during the 1919 Winnipeg General Strike. Because oh. it meant no one could see his employees working because they were oh. always underground. Ah, oh, the jerk. He was not labor sympathetic. This is a man who locked out employees if they even went to like a union meeting. Oh my god. He was not a nice man. Yeah. And he, saw, he tried to get his son... But he did have a tunnel. He did have a tunnel, <laughs> but the tunnel was filled in in 1980. Okay. So the tunnel is no longer there because the businesses there are no longer owned by the same person. Oh, okay. So what so, were you going to say about his son? Sorry. Uh, just like a fun story about Hutchings being the worst. He tried to get his son exempted from the draft in World War One by saying okay. he was essential to business services. <sighs> to be clear, his son was not. Classic rich people nonsense. And um, actually, several disgruntled employees complained to the government saying Hutchings was lying and his son did get drafted. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> He's an interesting character in Winnipeg yeah. history. There is a street named for him, actually. Okay. But that is the one tunnel in the exchange that is actually real, to my knowledge. But but not, not in fact there anymore. No. But there were sort of underground spaces. Yeah. 
I feel like with any sort of boomtown city, the buildings are jam-packed really tight together, so there's not a lot of, like, extra space for storage. Yeah. So if you have a building that's on, like, a sidewalk, mm-hmm. you can build your basement underneath the sidewalk. Okay, yeah. So they have more, like, expanded space below mm-hmm. ground. So if you are, say, digging into a sidewalk and you find a hole in the ground, you might think, aha, I found the tunnel, but it's just the basement of the building nearby. Right. And you can see some of this actually still in use. If you're on Main Street and pass by the Woodbine Hotel, mm-hmm. there's a big metal plate in the ground. Yes. And it's where they put the beer in. They yeah. still use this sort of extra basement space. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I see them doing, doing that all the time. They like, there's like um, almost like a ramp that goes down into it and they just sort of push the boxes down. Yeah, and it slides down into it. Yeah. So a lot of businesses would have used spaces like that for storage, essentially, right. and not much else. And there are a couple of like underground walkways. Like there's one from, but these are more recent. I was going to get into those later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. We're getting okay. to them. <laughs> They're the less exciting ones. Yeah. So we're going to, those are safe for the last ones. Mm. Um, there's also something like Ashdowns who would have built basically storage containers underground that were further away from the main building. Oh, that's kind of cool. So there was a reason for Ashdown to do this. This mm-hmm. is um, Ashdown's store was, or is the Crocus building now? just for those who don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it was basically a very early department store, and they sold everything from, like, paint to tools to furniture to gunpowder. Mm-hmm. I used to take dance lessons there. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. What dance did you take? Uh, I did uh, jazz and tap. Very cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, famously in 1904, there was a fire in the exchange district that hit the Ashdown building, and their gunpowder was just stored on the first floor. Oh. And the building did explode. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. So, after that, they built basically basement cellars okay. to store the gunpowder improperly in vaults. Right. I, does that prevent the explosion? I don't, I it guess... might make it less damaging to the upper levels of the oh, building. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, that building was raised. Right. There's a photo of it, and it's just a pit in the ground where the building Jeez. used to be. Yeah. I guess maybe also it's easier to prevent the fire from getting to from the cellar. From spreading, yeah. even to, like, the rest of the neighborhood, because the fire hall itself in the exchange caught fire in yeah. that one. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big deal. And then, finally, there is famously the old underground jail, mm-hmm. which stood from 1873 to 1883. So it was on a small lot. Okay, uh, so that's not very long, actually. No, no, it's not long at all. But the essence is that Winnipeg had a bit of a jailbreak problem prior to 1873. <laughs> the jail we had was in Upper Fort Gary. It was guarded by one guard, and it was really easy to break out of if you just got a mob together. Right. So, like, if Nick got arrested, we might go break him out. And they would just give up because it was too hard to deal with. <laughs> That's generally what happened. There was like one time where someone got freed from jail and then the mob leader got arrested and the guy that had been in jail came back around and broke him out again. The government was just like, we're tired. Early Winnipeg was wild. It, it's a lot of re- really weird stuff like that. So yeah. the solution was this underground jail. Mm-hmm. Which had like one access trap door oh, through the courtroom. Right. So, so you go up and down. It's harder to break out yeah. of. So it involved very cramped underground jail cells. Mm. But that was only there for like a decade. And then the courthouse was torn down, but the jail cells remained. Okay. They just built the uh, West Clements block on top of it. So that would have been, I think, 495 Main Street would have been the actual address. It's now a park. So the Clements block burns down in Mm -hmm. 1979. And they build Bijou Park, which is right next to um, Old Market Square in the Cube today. Oh, right. Okay. And during that process, they find the old jail cells. Ah, They're still there. (gasps) And one of them had apparently just been filled floor to ceiling with old typewriters. What? Because <laughs> it had been storage for the office. Oh, It was right. just the basement for them. It wasn't like a jail anymore. Right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But they filled that in. Oh. So that's gone too. Winnipeg. But like that wasn't connected to anything either. Yeah. It was just an underground space that was kind of like tunnel-y. Yes. There is... It would still be fun to find. Yeah. But. 
So that's basically the end of like the rum running connection because the other ones tend to have more to do with sex work. Okay. There's basically two categories that I found and it's rum running or smuggling sex workers. Those are the two uses of tunnels in sort of common lore. Right. So one actually involves the exchanges that, uh, do you know where the old Leland Hotel used to be? No. So it's on William near where Patterson Global Foods is. Okay, yeah. So it's right on the edge of Old Market Square and that burned down in like the late 90s. Mm -hmm. But the rumor goes that in the early 1900s, there was a tunnel between the Leland and City Hall. Oh. So like a politician could sneak off to the Leland and go like, have a like midday rendezvous with his mistress. <laughs> we really love to tell stories about our politicians and having sex affairs. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. So like this one's pretty easy to debunk because that couldn't be true, right? Because that land connect between where the Leland was and where City Hall was was like notoriously unstable. Oh, so there used to be a creek running through the Exchange Street called Browns mm, Creek. Yeah, and we had tried to build our first City Hall on top of it. <laughs> Right. Yes. And our first city hall fell into it. It, it lasted what, like 10 years? It lasted like 10 that? years and then we built the new one. Yeah. So like you couldn't build a tunnel through there. It would just fall apart. That oh, can't yeah. exist. It's completely unfeasible. Yeah. All these politicians <laughs> and sex workers just buried in the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. What a up. horrifying picture yeah. you're painting. <laughs> I mean, I have to imagine too that like the accounting in Winnipeg was not so bad that we would not have noticed if city hall funds mm-hmm. had gone to building an entire tunnel. Yeah. And you can also look at old fire maps mm. for the area, because a fire map would show if there's an underground space. Yeah. And none of them show tunnels. Right. They just show, like, the extended basement spaces. So where do you think that comes from? I Part of me genuinely thinks this is, like, desire to compete with Moose Jaw. Okay. Yeah. That's my best guess. I can, like... Does Moose Jaw have real tunnels? Yeah. Moose Jaw, like, known for Capone rum smuggling, because it's okay. right by the border. So right. there's a whole tunnel network you can do tours of. Oh, okay. So we're, like... Hey, we have tunnels too. Yeah, like look at us. We've also got them. (laughs) But then also maybe it's like someone found a creepy part of a basement and thought like maybe this went somewhere else. Yeah. It's hard to prove. So the other tunnel that I've heard a lot about is the Fort Gary. Yes. Which was also allegedly used for smuggling sex workers to the hotel. Right. So do you need to smuggle sex workers into a hotel? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Here's the thing. I feel like they're putting in a lot of extra steps that don't need to be there and probably weren't there for having like affairs yes i think it would have been much easier than making it out to be yeah so yeah there is a rumor that between the union station and the fort gary hotel there is a tunnel mm-hmm. allegedly so that if you were coming into town from like union rail you could just go downstairs and cross the street and go into your very nice hotel and never have to brave the winnipeg weather well that does sound nice except it's not real yeah <laughs> <laughs> um there is kind of a like tunnel there but it's like for a steam pipe so it's not, it's a trench for a pipe oh, to go okay. in. It supplies heat to the buildings. Like, could you fit through it? No. Oh. <laughs> no, and you you probably couldn't fit, like, hotel guests in their luggage. It's literally a trench <laughs> for a pipe. Darn. Yeah. But. I do like imagining people, like, crawling through a steam tunnel with their, like, <laughs> like army crawl like, roll on. <laughs> so this may come from actually something that is real, though. Okay. So prior to the 1970s, there was the Royal Alexandria Hotel. Yes. Across from the CPR station on Higgins. And there was a tunnel between those. Oh. So the Royal Alexandria for a while was basically as high class as the Fort Gary. Mm -hmm. Most rail lines wanted a like prestigious hotel to be across the street to attract high end guests. Mm -hmm. So if you were coming to the CPR station, you would actually go underground and just walk to the hotel, Mm -hmm. which was like very high class at the time, but then torn down in the 70s. The CPR station was no longer used in the 70s and the tunnel was filled in. Yeah. But my best guess is that 
people are now conflating the luxury hotel tunnel with the only existing luxury hotel. Right? That makes sense, right? Because the Alexandria isn't there anymore. Yeah. And the station isn't. Yeah. yeah. So. And if we're going to make wild, baseless claims, also, the Royal Alexandria is nearer to where the sex work was happening in Winnipeg. Ah, that's true. I don't think it was ever actually used for smuggling sex workers, no. but like, if we want to funnel a rumor, here's a good place to go. do it. <laughs> no, probably just used to stay warm. Actually, when I went to Casa Loma in Toronto, that has a tunnel. Oh, interesting. Between, like, basically the kind of, like, garage slash, like, stables area yeah. and the house, mm-hmm. which was just used so they didn't have to cross the street yeah. or go outside in the winter. Very practical. So, like, that use of a tunnel is actually not insane. I feel like they weren't as commonly actually used for, like, <laughs> sneaking things. No, I feel like the default response to like a tunnel was it used for crime yeah it's very weird <laughs> it is usually at least in canada what it is is for warmth <laughs> yeah like oh we don't want to go outside anymore it's way too cold yes <laughs> but there are other examples of like underground spaces in winnipeg existing mm-hmm. well throughout our history so in 1917 there were five public underground washrooms oh they were like added on pretty steadily from about 1914 to uh, 1917 they were on Market Avenue, Fort Street, Gary Street, Selkirk Avenue, and Logan Avenue. So what is an underground washroom? They were built beneath the streets so they wouldn't take up retail space. Okay. So there would have been like an entrance that would have had stairs leading down. That sounds horrifying. They to- were actually supervised is the thing. Because they wanted huh. to ensure cleanliness. Winnipeg right. at the time would have been like fairly bustling with like high class businessmen. Yeah. So you want a nice, clean, friendly bathroom. In the basement. <laughs> yeah. So they hired attendants. Okay. There were two for each station. The stations wow. were open from 6 a.m. to midnight Monday to Saturday and from noon to 10 p.m. on Sundays. Jeez. Note there's time to go to church in the morning before hitting up the downtown bathrooms. <laughs> 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 Once cars were becoming more common in Winnipeg across the 20s and 30s, these bathroom access points were actually blocking off road space. Oh, okay. So there was a push to close them in the 1940s that didn't go through. And then um, they would flood sometimes. Oh. Especially like in great. 1950. Yeah. So they were shut down and demolished by about 1979. It's funny because there's a push now to try and reintroduce public washrooms. Public like washrooms. I mean, it's, sometimes, it's a nightmare sometimes trying to find a washroom down I mean, there. I spent a good chunk of today trying to find a washroom. <laughs> yeah. And then Alex very nicely let me use hers. <laughs> but yeah, it was like a real thing in Winnipeg. There was underground bathroom spaces. Hmm. And apparently in 1948, an average of about 5,844 men and around 1,000 women used them. Wow. Yeah, I have to say, toilets underground, not quite as exciting as, like, tunnels used by sex no. workers. No, the tunnels, or the bathrooms did look nice. Like, the entrance points were, like, stately and kind of Edwardian. Do we have photos? I'll show you one later. Okay, we do cool. have photos. Cool. So there is that for, like, a cool underground space. Yeah. But again, it's not like we're smuggling booze through them. But the one very real tunnel network we do have is at the Manitoba Legislature. Mm-hmm. And this connects a number of provincial buildings, including the ledge of Vaughn Street Jail, the law courts... The Winnipeg Auditorium, which is now the Provincial Archives, the Woodsworth Building, and the Norquay Building, and the Remand Center. Cool. So there is kind of a rumor that they were used to help politicians escape in case of, like, a mob attack on the legislature. Okay. The threat of that was pretty low at any given point, but what they're actually used for is supplying power, heat, and water Mm. to very important government buildings. And I guess, again, for, like for warmth i mean it's probably just yeah. nice to be able to like if you need to be at the courts or whatever you don't really get to use them oh no no because they are just for power oh okay. there are pictures of them there's like big pipes going on the walls because right. they just supply power okay, to government so they're buildings not, like a walkway really yeah so they're actually like they have their own separate power supply mm-hmm. that would have been 
different from Winnipeg, so they weren't, like, relying on Winnipeg power necessarily. Interesting. Yeah. But um, the fun anecdote with these is that in 1917, right around when the tunnels were being built, a prisoner from Von Skrit Jail did escape from it. Oh, no. (laughs) He was working in the tunnel helping build it, which was a jail thing at the time. He had to work. Mm -hmm. So he managed to escape from the tunnels, and then he ran out of the law court building. Yeah. And they found him at home a few hours later drinking. (laughs) And he got sent back to jail. Oh, man. He tried. Good try. Going back to his house was maybe the part where the plan fell apart. Yeah. And then getting drunk. Like, maybe wait. Yeah. Maybe get further and then do that. But it's a fairly expansive tunnel network. That's cool. Which is real and no one knows about. I think that would be the one you could actually make rumors up about. Yeah. There's there's also an underground walkway between um, the Centennial Center and City Hall. Yeah. But it's almost always locked, which is annoying. Well, what that was built for. So this walkway was built in the 1960s to connect sort of the Centennial Complex to the public safety building where the parkade was. Mm. So the theory was this was a parkade that could then connect you to the arts center. So if you were, say, coming in from out of town, you park in the public city building parkade Mm. and then you use the tunnel to get to the concert hall. Right. At no point do you face the Winnipeg streets to go see a show. That's, yeah, lovely. But the public safety building and the parkade are now torn down, and that walkway is now locked, because functionally all it does now is connect City Hall to the concert hall. Yes, and... Which no one really needs anymore? No, I... City Hall at least used to have a restaurant, which so it kind of could be a thing. I don't know. No, not really anymore, though. No, but it doesn't anymore, so yeah. it doesn't... And, and then, of course, we have um, that portage in Maine. Yes, infamously, there is the Winnipeg Square Tunnel. Yes, a weird quirk of Winnipeg, which is that we... <laughs> cannot are, cross our Main Street. Cannot cross our Main Street. <laughs> So at Portage and Maine, instead of crossing above ground, you have to take a staircase downstairs into a roundabout, basically, yeah. <laughs> that funnels you off in different directions. Yeah. And it is confusing if you don't know where you're going. Yeah, I directed a friend of mine who was visiting town through there once because it was, like, cold. So I yeah. advised her to go through there and realized afterwards, I was like, oh, that poor yeah. girl. I've One of hopelessly my... doomed her. <laughs> One of my first uh, major times downtown, I was doing uh, the backstage pass program at MTC. So I was around 16. Mm-hmm. And it was like a morning theater program you would do. And my dad had to work downtown. So he drove me in and he dropped me up at the Richardson building and said, I'll see you in a few hours. <laughs> Goodbye. And left me to try and figure out how to cross the street oh, no. to get to MTC and yeah. like navigate the underground by myself at 16. I didn't have a like cell phone with a map. Yeah. I had a chunky Bluetooth. <laughs> I did make it and it was fine. But it was a very confusing experience and I learned fast. Yeah. I actually I actually kind of like the underground now, which I know is weird. I think that's an unpopular yeah, I think so. opinion. Um but yeah, the first time I had to take it was my first day of a job. Yeah. And it was yeah, horrifying trying to like run through it and I was getting all sweaty trying to get to this job yeah. on time. <laughs> it's it's confusing if you don't know where you're going in yeah. it. But again, a very real tunnel is just not an exciting one. Yes. But you can sort of see, like, there are existing underground spaces. Winnipeg did have, like, sort of a criminal history to it. So you can mm-hmm. see why you'd make these connections. Yes. But, yeah, yeah just a lot of them are true. Most of our criminal history just happened above ground. Yeah. <laughs> we were not ashamed of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently not. So, I mean, I'm sure I've missed some Winnipeg urban legends. I thought of another one. Can yeah. I, can I tell quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do either of you know about the time Groucho Marx met Charlie Chaplin in Winnipeg? Yes, I've heard of that. And I was going to debunk it. And then it just seemed like it was too true to talk about. <laughs> it's something that like Groucho would tell this story. Yeah. Because it was the first time he met Chaplin. Yeah. And I guess that he like he got off a train. He had an hour and a half to kill. And he heard laughter. 
and he heard such like it was so loud that he heard it like blocks away and he followed the laughter and he wound up at the empress theater which mm -hmm. is now the met right yeah and Chaplin was performing and he just waited for the show to end and like waited in the wings and then like let himself into the dressing room and Chaplin was there having a drink and yeah I don't know yeah. I I'd heard originally I heard that they met like just wandering around at the corner outside the Walker Theater. <laughs> That's what my old film prof told me. But okay. then there's a National Post yeah. piece that really like breathes some life yeah. into this myth or truth whatever it is but yeah that's that's one that i always thought was was kind of neat because it's like yeah only in winnipeg it's a would, genuine like hollywood connection that we have yeah too. in 1921 these two legends Just met like, for yeah. the first time and probably became friends yeah. uh, throughout their careers and stuff but there was this anecdote marx told later that he was walking around like charlie chaplin like a penguin to his brothers <laughs> to convince him to go see the show but that does tie into uh, sort of a Charlie Chaplin rumor that he decided to go into film while he was staying in Winnipeg, mm. oh. which is also just, I think, true. There's like a letter that proves it. Wow. So he was staying at, um, it was the LeClaire Hotel. I don't know what it is now, but it's an existing hotel. And if you go down one of sort of downtown streets, there is a Charlie Chaplin figure in the window of it. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. nice. So he was staying there and he wrote to his brother saying like, I want to start making movies. Cool. And he sent it all on the hotel's letterhead. So there's some actual proof that it was from oh, like 1917-ish this happened. Yeah, I mean, we, we do actually have a pretty significant kind of like celebrity history in that yeah. way. Because like Winnipeg was such a vaudeville hotspot. Yeah. So but then we just make up stories that, that yeah. are worse. <laughs> <laughs> like Harry Houdini did actually come here and do a pretty cool performance. Yeah. He, hum he hung himself off of the Carlton Street Winnipeg Free Press building. Yeah. In the middle of February, and like a crowd of 5,000 people watched it happen. And there's super cool photographs of that. Yeah. But no, let's make up things about Tunnel. Let's say Capone was here. <laughs> <laughs> but like Cha Chaplin saying he's going into film here is like a really sort of significant film history tidbit. Yeah. Because he's like one of the earliest film pioneers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to add that one to the list, and then it looked to be too true. <laughs> so it wasn't like a process of debunking it we can go through. I'm like, well, there's a letter from the hotel. <laughs> Like, maybe a couple of details are off, but, you know. Yeah, like, the gist of the story is still the same. Yeah. But I feel like most cities also have their own weird urban legends. I'm sure there's some in Toronto, too, that don't, like, go away. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up any when you were there. I don't, I don't know if I picked up any that I'd, like, be comfortable saying if they're true or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're fun, scandalous stories. I don't think... In doing this episode, I'm going to stop anyone from saying any of them. No, I'd be interested <laughs> if people have heard other ones yeah. to hear what other myths and legends people have heard. Yeah, it'd be fun. Like, tell us. We're interested. I mean, a lot of the other ones that we, you know, haven't really touched on here are, like, paranormal type ones. Yeah, those which, are not as... They're not easy to debunk. No, because that is just, like, do you believe that... Do you believe in ghosts exist? Or, like, yes or no. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, you can look at building records and say if a tunnel definitively does or does not exist. Mm-hmm. Though I did also start my own urban legend once. I believe I've told you about this. <laughs> what what this, was that? Relating to how easy they are to spread. Mm -hmm. um, when I was president of the History Students Association at the U of W, I did an interview with the Uniter. It was my first year doing tours of the Exchange District Biz, and we, we did tell ghost stories because they would hook kids right. on a tour pretty easily. So we talked a lot at the Pantages Theater about ghosts there. Mm -hmm. And over the course of doing that, people would tell me, like, oh, once my friend had this happen to them at the theater or X or Y or Z. Right. And whatever ghost allegedly haunts the theater likes to play tricks, apparently. Ah, uh, okay. So 
in the Uniter, I said, it's apparently the Pantages, like Alexander Pantages himself haunts the theater. Right. And I said, Alexander Pantages is a bit of a dick. <laughs> and that got quoted verbatim. <laughs> which I don't know why I was surprised by that. <laughs> Just confused about how interviews work. I was like 22 and dumb, I guess, <laughs> is the answer to that. But then, like, a year later, someone did a ghost story article, and they said he was a jerk. Uh, which is, like, almost the exact yeah. phrasing I use. And then someone else asked me about that on a tour once. And I was like, I think I did that because no one had really, like, compiled the stories before. Yeah. So maybe I started an urban legend. I'll say I did. <laughs> about the ghost of Alexander Pantages. Who I don't Love believe it. in either. No. <laughs> I just thought it was a fun story. <laughs> so they're easy to spread and make up on your own. And you should try it at home. Yeah. Is the moral <laughs> of all of this. Invent a new tunnel in Winnipeg and convince someone it's real. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for listening. That's been One Great History. This is the last episode of our first season. We are doing a six-episode trial run to see if Alex and I liked working on this together. <laughs> and I think we do. I think we do. <laughs> Wonderful. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at One Great History. We're on Twitter at the number one great history. And you can follow us or check out our website for sources and pictures at uh, onegreathistory.wordpress.com. Follow us there and we'll let you know when we're working on new stuff. Thank you. Thank you.